0: Turning your Bibles to Matthew 5, if you would, please. We're getting through the Beatitudes. We're down to number 7 today. And number 8, Lord willing, next Sunday. I want to begin this morning. The title of this message is Blessed Are the Peacemakers, for they shall be called Sons of God. And I want to begin this morning by reading a poem written by one of Anne's and my favorite singers over the years, John Denver, who lived up in Aspen for many years before his death. And uh, we were watching just in the last week or two a concert that he did in England on the television set. And at the end of his concert, he gave this poem. And I found out later that he actually wrote it. And I got it off my phone. And here it is. There's a name for war and killing. There's a name for giving in. When you know another answer, for me the name is sin. But there's still time to turn around and make all hatred cease and give another name for living and we could call it peace. And peace would be the road we walk each step along the way, and peace would be the way we work, and peace the way we play. And in all we see that's different, and in all things that we know, peace would be the way we look, and peace would be the way we grow. There's a name for separation, there's a name for first and last. When it's all for us or nothing, for me the name is past. But there's still time to turn around and make all hatred cease and give a name to all the future, and we could call it peace. And if peace is what we pray for and peace is what we give, then peace will be the way we are and peace the way we live. Yes, there is still time to turn around and make all hatred cease and give another name to living, and we can call it peace. Now, what do you think of that poem and who it came from, what he was saying? We certainly can say that John Denver saw that in this world in which we live, there is a lack of peace. And we can also say, we can also congratulate him, I guess, in a sense, is that he desires it. He wanted it. He wrote this poem about it. I counted how many times peace came up in this poem. Did you count them? Twelve times. Twelve times. But I think here's the thing I would argue his way of making peace is not really valuable, valuable, and, and right on. He's misguided. You see, there's never been peace on this planet since Adam sinned. Do you remember what happened right after in the scriptures in chapter 4 of Genesis after his sin in the garden? One of his sons, Cain, gets angry with his brother and murders him. And so it has been ever since in this world in which we live. There's no real peace among nations. There's no peace among the group of people that lives in a specific nation. That's why we have police forces. That's why we have a justice system which governments are given the right to do, according to Paul in Romans 13. There's not even fully peace in families, among families in a nation. And really sad to say, there's not always peace among brothers and sisters in the church. That's the world we live in. That's the world that we wake up to every single day. And yet our Lord, 2,000 years ago, came to this earth to bring peace. Beginning by making peace with God and man, because that's where it all begins. You can't be a peacemaker unless you have found peace with God. That was what was all, it was all about in the garden. It was, no God, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm gonna listen to Satan. I'm gonna listen to the tempter. I I see that fruit and it looks good to me. I'm gonna eat of it. The way it began is we broke peace with God and we've been living since the creation without peace. Christ came to bring it, to bring peace with God first of all, to give himself a sacrifice on the cross, to live under the law a perfect life to go there and bear our sin in his own body on the tree, sin which we would have to have paid for for all eternity. Jesus came to bring peace between God and man, and then he's called us, his children, the ones that he's made peace with, the ones that have come to him and recognized that they're at war and they're an enemy and under condemnation, now he's called us to be peacemakers in this world in which we live. What a calling. And by being a peacemaker, not only is there blessing and joy, we also find out this. Those who are peacemakers because they've made peace with God and they're about his business to make peace with fellow man, they will be called the sons of God. Nobody else, peacemakers, will be called the sons of God. So we're going to look at this this morning. We're going to unpack this with three points. And the first one is, what does it mean to be a peacemaker? What does that really mean? To begin with, we're just going to examine how that word is used in the New Testament a bit. The term itself takes note of the miserable strife and the contention of the world in which this word peace is to effect. Paul writes in Titus chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. By the world, did did you get that? Did you get what's being said there? This is the way everyone coming into the world ends up being as they grow up. Hateful, hateful, hating one another but he saved us and redeemed us to remove all of that hatred from us to get rid of it so that we can live in peace with him and peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ in Romans 1.30 he even says not only did we hate each other we hated God hateful to God So this is the condition of the world that we live in because this is the condition of the people that make up this world. They're hateful to one another. There's never going to be peace on this planet or the new earth if it is this planet revived until Jesus comes back. And yet we living in this world are to be peacemakers every day of our lives. There's a desperate need for peace today, isn't there? You listen to the news, you, you you read the newspaper, talk about what China is doing, talk about what Russia is doing. Nations of the world are at war with one another, and sometimes even if there has been a declared peace, it's only to take time to rearm for the next war. No peace among nations, no peace among people within nations, no peace largely in families, and struggling for peace in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace deals with not just the absence of war, cessation of fighting, Peace deals with that which causes it. That which causes it, triggers the hostility, and brings the presence of righteousness through which we can begin to be peacemakers in this world in which we live. And it comes from God, and it comes from His wisdom. As James says, and I love this, James three seventeen. And 18, the wisdom that is first pure and peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Brothers and sisters, are you a peacemaker? Do you recognize that God is a God of peace? God has made it possible for us to have peace with Him and made it possible for those of us that have come to know Him to have peace with one another. And yet it seems so absent in this world in which we live. This wisdom ultimately comes from Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God no longer an enemy, no longer at odds with him. What he does in us deals with the love of self, self self-righteousness, self-centeredness, selfishness. But my question is, is it? It is for those that know him and want to live for him and want to honor him. To be a peacemaker in this world so let me give you five things that i think are very important in kind of saying what does what this being a peacemaker look like what does it mean number one it means that we must desire peace with others as a major major part of our life do i desire peace with those around me, with my brothers and sisters in Christ. To be a peacemaker, that has to be a primary desire, more than getting what I desire or my own way or proclaiming my own rights, because God is a peacemaker. And I am His child, or if I am His child, I must be one too. That's number one about peacemaking. What does it mean? It means that we have to have a desire to make it no matter what. No matter what. Secondly, it means that we must especially pursue peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church belongs to Christ. It is his bride. And we are to care for one another as he would care for his bride. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. Pursue it. It's number one. And guess who wants to alleviate peace? The enemy of our soul. That's one of his primary missions in the church is to disrupt, to bring disharmony, to bring a lack of love, and a lack of peacemaking when people are at odds. It goes on all the time. And peacemaking even in the church is not as easy as we might think it should be. It certainly wasn't easy in Paul's day. Paul was constantly writing to churches about problems in the church. Problems with weaker and stronger brothers, the stronger brother trying to get the weaker brother to do what he had freedom to do even before the weaker brother's conscience was allowing him to do it. And therefore, Paul says, you not only sin against your weaker brother, you sin against God because he's violating his conscience before God. That was going on between the weaker and the stronger brother There were battles over spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Who had the best one? Who had the most important one? All of those kinds of things were going on. And then even the strife that would come between individuals within the church. Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount right after the Beatitudes. And he says, if you're on your way to the altar and all of a sudden you find out that your brother has something against you, you leave your offering, get away from the altar, you go find your brother, and you work it out. You make peace. Then come back and offer me the offering. These things were going on in Paul's day, and the Scriptures say, Hebrews 12, 14, Also, in addition to this about pursuing peace in the church, it says pursue peace with all men. That means the neighbor who lives next door to you who doesn't know Christ, who does things that disturb you. Are you always happy with your neighbors around you and what they do? Are you at odds with a neighbor because of something he has done and you're not speaking and you don't like him? The Scriptures say you're not only responsible to make peace within the body of Christ, but to make peace with every man. As far, Paul says in Romans 12, as far as it is possible with you, because it takes two ultimately to make peace. But the believer should be a peacemaker. He should always be first in trying to make peace when there's strife, when there's trouble, when there are problems. It just so happened, and it's not just so happening, the Lord let this happen. I have a good friend in Florida by the name of Bill Powell, and his picture's on this paper, if you can see it. See that? Bill is the manager of a Christian radio station in Port Orange, Florida, right next to Daytona, just south of it. Bill and I are friends. He's been out here to the springs. Ann and I have spent time with his wife, taking them around here and he's the manager of the station, and he writes a monthly article and sends out a little brochure. Here's the article that came just two days ago, and I could not resist the fact that God sent it to be shared with you this morning. The article is about his dad and his dad's brother who began to have difficulty when their mother died. And Bill writes this, he's beginning the article, and he says, let me ask you a few questions. Are you not speaking to someone for one reason or another? Did someone make you mad or offend you? Are you over someone or avoiding them like the plague? Do you spend too much time trying to read between the lines statements like, I know what they're thinking? Do you think You may have at one time or another misread someone or have taken something the wrong way or in a way that it was not intended. Let us assume someone who you were friends with for a long time or maybe a relative did say or do something hurtful. I guess what I'm getting at is there's someone you need to forgive or are you harboring ill will based on misinformation or just stubborn pride? When my mother passed away, I went up north for the funeral. I asked my dad about Uncle Gene, and he gave me the lowdown concerning the problem. I think what I talked to him about speaks to all the above questions. I let him know I understood why he was upset. I said, Dad, are we all not sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. Can any of us say we have not said or done things that caused hurt? Do two wrongs make a right? We talked about how Jesus doesn't treat us like we deserve, and that if we confess our sins, He's willing to forgive us our sins. But God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Forgiving does not mean we agree with the wrong. The Lord resists the proud, and too often that is the stumbling block. Are we so high and mighty that we cannot forgive and forget? Jesus left us an example, and we are to follow in his steps. Why not forgive? Why not forget? Why not say you're sorry and patch things up? We do not always have to agree, but we should strive to always get along We should not carry a grudge. Are you upset with someone this morning? Are you mad? Were you offended? Do you carry that around with you? Are you living it out day by day? That is not pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care who you are in the body a sheep, a shepherd, both. You must be a peacemaker if you are a child of the living God who sent his son to die in your place that he might make peace with you. You need to be a peacemaker. You need to be forgiving. You need to be one who leads the way. To be a peacemaker, you must look for ways to make peace, even if it means you have to sacrifice. Paul in Romans 12, in the whole context of verse 14 to 21, talking about being at peace with all men as far as it is possible with you, says, and he's quoting from another verse, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. Your enemy, take him a drink if he's thirsty. Give him Give him something to eat if he's hungry. Are you that kind of a follower of Christ that you will go and even sacrifice yourself to an enemy and give them something in time of their need, something in time of their want? Fourthly, we must also never seek revenge. Paul says that in Romans 12. 14 to 21, never seek revenge, for it is God who says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. I want to read you part of another article. You can tell I'm in the newspapers, right, and bring these things to you. This is a little old, you probably can tell that. This article is entitled, the need for revenge is found in our genes. I haven't even checked my blue jeans lately, but might be there. Retaliation regulates where laws have no claim. Experts say, I love it when experts talk. Just the fact that he's an expert makes me listen, doesn't it you? Not unless it's Christ. I want to compare everything that the experts say with what he says. Listen to this. Revenge may be frowned upon, viewed as morally destitute, papered over with platitudes about living well, but the urge to extract a pound of flesh researchers find is primed in the genes. That makes it okay, doesn't it? It's in our genes. We can seek revenge. Acts of personal vengeance reflect a biologically rooted sense of justice. They say that the functions in the brain are like our appetite, alternately, Voracious and manageable, it can inspire socially beneficial acts of retaliation and punishment as well as damaging ones. Wow, experts. Don't you, aren't you glad I read this to you so that you know this stuff? The best way to understand revenge is not as some disease or moral failing or crime, but as a deeply human and sometimes very functional behavior. Revenge can be very good deterrent to bad behavior and brings feelings of completeness and fulfillment. Wow! Man, I couldn't believe it when I read this article. Just freed me up. (laughs) Retaliatory acts anthropologists long have argued help keep people in line where formal laws or enforcement do not exist. Recent research has shown that stable communities depend on people who have an intrinsic taste for punishing others who violate the community's norms. If you need a copy of this, I'll, I'll be glad to make you one for about a buck, buck or two. This is what the world is saying. This is hogwash, it is rubbish. It is from the pit, it is from our enemy. We don't seek revenge, period. It is God who is the one who brings revenge, and we leave it to His hands. Fifth, in pursuing peace, we must guard our tongues carefully. James chapter 1, 19 and 20, Let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. If we're going to be peacemakers, we have to be quick to listen, to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. We've got to guard our words, got to guard our thoughts. We've got to ask for the Spirit to guard our emotions. We must be careful what we say and when we say it. We must, must not be involved in spreading rumors and gossip. You know, that's so easy to do, so easy. Somebody comes and they say, could I talk to you? I wanna tell you about my problems with so and so. Here's what you do to keep that from being gossip. You say, I'm another party here. You're talking to me about a, a difficulty with someone else. I will be glad to help bring the two of you together. I will be glad to listen to you and turn right around, go out this door, then listen to the other side. With the idea of bringing the two of you together, but I cannot just listen to what you have to say and your feelings and your emotions about what went on unless the whole picture comes together. If you don't do something like that, it is gossip that you're participating in. Because you walk away with this in your mind, and you've got it in your mind, and you've heard it from somebody you know that you love and you care for, and it's there, and you can't get rid of it unless you're a peacemaker, and you begin to bring the two together, or the three, or the ten, or whatever it is, and you begin to make peace because God is a God of peace, and you're his child and its peacemakers that will be called the sons and daughters of God and only them and only them scriptures are very very clear on these issues but let's let's just stop for one moment here let's qualify When don't you make peace? You don't make peace with someone in the body who's living in open sin that you've gone to and the church has gone to and talk to them about their sin, try to get them to stop, bring them back into fellowship. If they continue in sin, you break fellowship, you treat them like an unbeliever and you don't fellowship with them. Matthew 18. There are times... When we can't, being a peacemaker doesn't mean that we give in to all that Satan is saying. It's not peace at any price. We make peace as far as it is possible within us, but it takes two, doesn't it? It takes two to make peace. Part of being a peacemaker means that we take forth the gospel. Does everyone that we share the gospel with make peace with us? No. Many don't like the gospel. Many don't like the ones that bring the gospel, and they will come at us. We have to be ready for that. That's the next beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Are you being persecuted for the sake of righteousness? Eleven out of twelve apostles were martyred or being partly at least a peacemaker. Bringing the gospel of peace, making peace with people. They were put to death. Are you ready for such cost? To being a peacemaker? In order to make peace, it will always require two people. Always require that. We cannot make peace with another on our own. We cannot bring two parties to peace without both agreeing. There may be a time to stop our efforts and commit the situation to God for, for His intervention or for leaders in a church, but we can't bring peace on our own. We just always need to qualify what's out there. Be a peacemaker. What does it actually take? What kind of a person is going to be a peacemaker? It's number one, the kind of person that knows peace with God and knows what He's called us to do. To make peace, to know Him, to know that it is He that gave His Son on the cross to make peace with us. We need to be a peacemaker. And it all begins with making peace with God. Otherwise, there is no peace. Secondly, we must know something about the men and women that we are to make peace with. They're lost. They don't have a heart for peace and yet we're to make peace with them. They need the grace of God just as we did. Therefore, they're to be pitied and shown mercy in having the gospel proclaimed to them and in living next door to them. Pitied because of the state that they are in, that they came into this world with. We need to pray for them. We need to share with them. We might need to take food to them. We need to be kind to them. We need to show them that we have been changed and we're not the same as we used to be. Third, we must cultivate a forgiving spirit by the grace and power of God to consider the interest of those around us ahead of our own. See, when we get angry and we get mad and we get upset, it's all about me, usually. Unless I'm angry over sin. It's about me. That's the way it works out. We must strive for peace with others as far as it is possible with us. We must be humble, meek, gentle. Guard ourselves from fleshly thinking and fleshly lust and fleshly desires. They can creep back in even to the Christian and that's why we sometimes get mad and we don't let go. We don't give up. We keep on fighting. What's the reward connected to this beatitude? As you live this way in this life, you will be called sons and daughters of God. That's what you will be called. But I think there's even more to that. Listen to this verse. Love your enemies and do good out of Luke, and lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. I think even what Luke has in his mind there is that someday, We will be with him on the new earth with no more sin, no more temptation, no more Satan, no more demons, no more unbelievers causing strife, hateful, hating one another. And we for all eternity will be known as sons and daughters of God because he changed us from the inside out, he died for us, he made peace with us who deserve no peace. None of us deserved anything but punishment and he made peace at a great cost to him. And it's going to cost us to be peacemakers. Do you want to be one? Do you recognize that's what he's called you to be in your home? at work? With your neighbors? In your church? A peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Paul said in Romans eight fourteen. for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. If you're a Christian and you have the Spirit of God in you, do you know what the Spirit will be doing in your life leading you to be a peacemaker. Tapping you on the shoulder and say, you know, you're still angry about something, you're still upset about something, and you can't get over it. Get over it! I will give you the power to do that. It's bothering you. It's hurting you get over it. Be a peacemaker as far as it is possible with you. We're to emulate Jesus. We're to be like him. When he says to the woman in John chapter 8 who's been caught in adultery At the end, when all have left her, and he's just there with her alone, he says, go and sin no more. What does he say to the woman at the well? He offers her the water of life, the water that will give life for eternity, and she's lived with how many different men? And the offer is there to make peace with God brothers and sisters I think one of the greatest needs in our nation in the world but especially in this nation right now is for peacemakers to step forward to be peacemakers isn't that what James said in James chapter 3 that we read earlier children of God will be peacemakers not destroyers, not getting their own way, not seeking their own way, but seeking to bring people to Christ and seeking with brothers and sisters in Christ to find ways to make peace and make it a priority. It is a shame when there's not peace in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The enemy is the one that's winning. The enemy is the one who's finding the victory. And he alone. Just as we conclude, I want you to think through these thoughts. Are all our relationships peaceful as far as it is possible with us? Is anyone this morning holding on to a grudge holding something in their heart that they're angry over? You see, even when we think we have all the evidence to make sure that people know we're the one who's right in this disagreement, doesn't remove that one from being a peacemaker. Are we all, do we all have relationships which are peaceful as far as it is possible with us? Are we striving by the power of the Spirit within us to make peace with those around us in this life, even our enemies, even those who don't want to make peace with us? Is peacemaking a character trait of our lives? Are we attempting to share the gospel with those that are lost in order to bring peace between them and God? Does bringing peace in relationships bring us great joy? Is it our earnest desire to be known to others as sons and daughters of God? One of the clear ways they will see that in you is if they see you with all of your heart, strength, might which Christ gives to you desiring to make peace. Don't excuse yourself if you don't have that desire. Get down on your knees before God and confess that you don't have it and ask him for it. This is one of the key characteristics of a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. We can't deny that. I don't care what your problem was. I don't care who caused it. I don't care if it went way back in your background. Get rid of it. Turn it over to Christ. And forgive, 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 and be a peacemaker, be a peacemaker. We need those desperately. And remember the cost if you are. It will cost you in this life because you will be persecuted. It will cost you, but you will have great joy in this. The persecution will also prove that you're a child of God, and the world doesn't like you any more than it liked him. Jesus said in John 14, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute Be a peacemaker by the grace of God. Looking forward to the day when He will return and you will have peace for all eternity. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says, but live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. You live in peace and the God of peace will be with you. What's the what's the opposite of that? Don't live in peace and the god of peace will not be with you. Which way do you want it? Remember how much he did and the price he paid to make peace with you. And remember to be his follower. One of your key character traits is to be one who will make peace with others as far as it is possible with you. Let's pray. Father, this is a challenging subject and a challenging message, especially in our days. I want you to write it on my own heart, you to make it very plain I want you to give me the strength To be a peacemaker In this church and in this world That we live in For Jesus' sake And for his name Take these words this morning The words of the scriptures The words spoken by Jesus and by Paul And the other apostles And write them on our hearts And if there's something that we need to deal with May we leave this service And get on it And begin to do it for your honor and for your glory. And so that we might be known as sons and daughters of the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.